You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Oh my gosh, how adorable. How do I follow that up? Come on. What do you love about your mom? Oh, I love a lot of things. About my mom, Wendy Crowland, she's a saint. She is a saint. She had me, didn't she? <laughs> All right, well, welcome. I am so glad you are here. My name is Jacob. I am the assistant pastor here at Victory, and um, I'm honored to bring the word of the Lord to you today. And so I'm excited of what we're going to dig into. Uh, we're in Discover Happy, right? We're, we're, uh, this is a third sermon in Discover Happy. Have you guys discovered, how many of you guys have discovered what it is to be happy? Have you already done that? Are you guys, have you discovered happiness? I hope you have because I'm going to mess that all up for you today. I'm going to dash. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm, I'm loving this because this is such a deep, uh, a deep sermon series, and we're growing and learning from it. And, uh, and listen, um, I love that we have a church that values personal spiritual growth. Aren't you happy that you're in a church that does that? Aren't you happy that a church that values spiritual growth? I am. And today our key passage comes from Matthew 5.5, and, and, and I, I think most of you will be familiar with it and recognize this, uh, the key passage after I've read it. Let's just pray and let's go right into the word of the Lord. God, we just pray right now. We actually, we thank you for your word. Challenge us as we consume it together. In your name we pray, Amen. All right, so turn your Bibles to Matthew 5, verses 5. It's nice, it's short, it's sweet, and it says this. It says, God blesses those who are meek, for they will inherit the whole earth. Wow. Blessed are the meek. They couldn't have picked a more meek, soft-spoken, uh, mild-mannered preacher on staff than me to do this sermon, right? Or, or Pastor Ed's trying to teach me a lesson, that wild coyote. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> He's a wild one. <laughs> Oh, but honestly, um, the the definition, I started looking up the definition of this idea of being meekness, and and I had these preconceived notions of what I thought meekness was, and it's funny because our culture has a completely opposite, a completely opposite perception of what biblical meekness is. Go figure. And some of the words I started looking up in, the, in, in this context, I'm like, well, what does meekness mean? What is it? What, what is it? And, and, and some of the words that came up were timid, quiet. This is terrible. Easily imposed on. And the last one I saw that was just, uh, uh, just terrible, uh, meekness was uh, described as beaten down. That's, that's what our culture thinks meekness is. And what I want to try and do today, what I want to try and help us wrap our minds around is a biblical 
concept of what meekness is. See, obviously Jesus valued this. Obviously Jesus was saying something special happens when we become meek. So obviously this is a tribute that we want to get together for a better understanding of what God teaches us about who he is. So I had three questions when I looked into this because I thought, well, why would I want meekness if it's all of those things? And so the three questions I had was first is, what is this passage teaching us about the Lord, who we know God to be? The second is, is what, why would I want meekness? Why would I want any of this? And the third is, why would I want, why would I want to inherit the earth? Why would I want that? And so, honestly, I think these are fair questions. And when we ask of God, it's never meant to be rhetorical, right? It's meant, and you know what? God is so good. He is so good because as I was preparing this sermon, God was teaching me and molding me in the process. And the Bible has a very different take on this term. And so I want each of you to ask, take a moment and ask the Lord, to open up your heart today to learn and be molded by his word. Let's unpack this passage as he teaches, uh, this passage teaches us about the Lord and how we can draw closer to him in, in the process. So I'd love for you if you could turn in your Bibles, and we're going to get to this in a moment, but turn in your Bibles, just kind of put a finger in there or, or your Bible app to Psalm 37. But before we get into that passage, before we bring that up, I'm going to give you some time to, to get into that. I want to tell you a deep, dark secret about myself. I know. I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable here. It's okay, because we're all friends. I'm going to get a little bit deep and tell you about something that will totally ruin my street cred here at Victory Church. <laughs> it's something I'm not too proud of, and a lot of times elapsed since this happened, so I'm not going to feel too bad about sharing this at this point. But starting in middle school and into high school, I participated in an act that I'm not very proud of. And I have to tell you that um, if it came out then, what I was doing behind closed doors, behind this secretive mist, I would lose friendships. People would ostracize me. And so I want, as before I come out and, and tell you guys this story, I want to remind you how much you love and adore me. Don't laugh at that. Come on. And that there's no condemnation or shame in the house of the Lord. All right, so here it goes. Back in the formative years of 8th grade to 11th grade, I, Jacob Curlin, took horseback riding lessons. Yeah, I know. The shock. The awe. I took horseback riding lessons, but it's, it gets worse. I took dressage lessons. I don't know if you know what dressage is. <laughs> That's how you have to say it, because it's dressage. It's kind of hoity. Dressage is, um, let me actually read the definition of it because I had to look, look it up to remember. It's described as the highest expression of horse training. 
that there can be. So you would ride on this English saddle. It was all prim and proper, and they would, on demand, they'd tell you uh, to trot or gallop or canter or jump or whatever you would do, you would ju- they would demand you to do, you would do it. And so this was not something that a punk rock kid would typically do, nor would it be something that a poor kid would do, and I was both, all right? But what had happened is my parents had worked out a deal with this farm that I would do these, I would take these lessons in exchange for hours and hours and hours of hard farm labor. I would clean stalls, I would take care of the animals, I'd feed them, I'd do all sorts of things so I could get these lessons. They thought it would help me be prim prim and proper, and it worked. But the funny thing about all of this is that the riders, when they would ride, they would wear these dress shirts and ties and chaps and look all fancy. And I wore flannels and chaps, all right? (laughs) I had to wear chaps. But I cut the fingers out of my gloves and I wore combat boots. I was the bad boy of dressage. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I was. I was untamable. And the irony of this is that as I progressed as a rider, I was paired with more and more difficult horses. And um, it was tough, but I did really well. Like, just to be honest with you, I was actually really good at this. And one day, I came in to get my lesson, and they said, my instructor told me, he said, Jacob, you are no longer going to be on Rowdy Dan. That was the name of the horse I was on. You're no longer going to be on Rowdy Dan. You're going to start from this point forward, you're going to start riding Angel. And then they proceeded to show me where Angel's stall was. But I knew where Angel's stall was. Oh, yes, indeed. Because Angel had a reputation. Angel was a demon horse. Oh, yes. Angel was a demon horse. See, the fact was is that Angel was not yet broken. Angel was not a broken, trained horse yet. And so what was happening, she was the most unruly horse. And so I, when I rode Angel, I, would, I got bucked off more times than I can remember. I, have a few, I got a few bloody noses from Angel. I got bruised bones, literally, from Angel. It was a nightmare. And I remember after a few, uh, a few sessions of, of riding Angel, lamenting at the dinner table to my parents how I didn't want to ride Angel anymore. I wanted to quit because Angel was a jerk. I told my parents, if she would just listen to me, if she would just listen to my instruction, if she would just finally just get tamed and be broken because she's hurting me and she's hurting herself and she's just got to stop being a jerk. And my parents were like, after, you know, just hours of me just begging to quit, my parents were like, fine, they gave in and they let me quit and I never rode again, the end. And you're probably thinking, why the heck did he share this story of riding angel? And Well, because it adds to my forlorn persona. No, it doesn't. No, not at all. It's because it connects to the passage. So let me unpack this idea, this word, this terminology of meekness to you, and you can see the true definition of it. So counter to popular belief, meekness 
is not weakness. It just is not. And this is the danger of when we allow culture to define us rather than the word of God. See, we know meekness is not weakness because both Moses and Jesus were uh, described in the Bible as meek men. And they were not weak by any means. And I don't believe it's because it's an unattainable attribute. It's because many of us don't actively, what I mean by that is that I, I, I don't think that a lot of us in the Bible have this, uh, we, we don't see in the Bible that people have this attribute because it's, many of us don't actively seek it out because it's the personal demands of it, it carries with it. And this word translated meek was used by the Greeks to describe a horse that has been broken. It refers to power under control. And better yet, we could call it force under the control of faith. I'll say that again because it's, it's, it's good. Force under the control of faith. I'll let that sink in. I firsthand know the power of a broken horse and the pains of an unbroken horse. And for future illustration purposes, uh, no, we're the horse if you guys didn't catch that already. <laughs> but let's continue. Additionally, this term of meekness was used for more than just a broken horse. The Greeks used this term when referring to war horses. War horses. Come on. How do you like that? And when Jesus was preaching about meekness, he was pulling from Psalms 37, which we're about to dig into, and he made, when he made this very short statement in Matthew. And this message was just as countercultural then as it is now, because Jesus, he's on a hillside, he's preaching to people that didn't understand meekness. This is a world that only understood earthly power. This is a world where armies made people subject to their sheer force. If you didn't like what was happening, if you didn't like something tough, you didn't have the freedoms that we have. But let's look at Psalm 37 and see what Jesus is unpacking here in his message and why it's connected to this awesome message in Matthew 5.5. 5. It says this in Psalm starting verse 37, starting verse 1. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they will soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they will soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. And this is where Jesus gets his passage from. The lowly or the meek 
will possess the land and live in peace and prosperity. And I want to continue um, to read this, but for time's sake, we'll just skip to verses 23 and 24, but take some time uh, alone and and read this passage. This is what it says uh, ahead in verse 23 through 24. It says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. I love that imagery. And what David is saying here is that God owned the land. He owns all the land, right? And if we obey him, we can live in the land and enjoy its blessings. And see, this is how Jesus turns this culturally known scripture on its head. And he's telling them, he's telling these people and us so much here. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What he's saying is trust and obey me and you'll live a happy and fulfilled life. Reading, see, see, reading Psalm 37 expands our understanding about God and why he's worthy of our obedience. It says this in Psalm 30, uh, 37. It says that God can be trusted. He understands your situation. He blesses his people and he judges the wicked. And if we listen and follow him, he'll direct our steps. Wow, come on, that's awesome. Jesus didn't make the mistake here in connecting this particular psalm with his message. He's revealing to us who he is and how we can be changed in our understanding of who he is. And see, this is completely out of the realm of what we celebrate socially because this psalm is saying we gotta stop getting so angry about the th- these things, about things that make us upset, maybe about injustices, maybe about wickedness in our world. Stop getting so upset and angry and losing our temper and let God take control. And when's the last time you saw a movie that celebrated those virtues? When's the last time? I mean, honestly, when's the moment where you saw a movie where the hero came in and he's got all these things against him and the hero says, God, you take the reins. No, we don't see that movie. We don't, no one wants to see that. We don't want to go to a movie like that. We want to see a payback movie where the first half consists of the hero getting dumped on and the second half consists of the people getting dumped on that dumped on the hero in the first place, right? That's what entertains us. That's what our culture celebrates. And this is what the devil wants to do to keep us thinking that we can do it all by ourselves, that justice is in our own hands, Well, that's just the opposite. What it does is it actually robs us from our relationship with God and keeps us disconnected and in depression. It keeps us in darkness, separated from God. And see, right here, God says, Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, happy are the meek. Happy are the meek. Do we get the immeasurable value that godly happiness holds? And that's time with God. Jesus wants to pull you into the light, pull you into joy, pull you into happiness by walking in obedience with him, drawing closer to him in his presence. Are we beyond the cultural statistics of depression and anxiety and stress? Godly happiness doesn't just fall in our laps. There are steps we have to take. James tells us that when we draw close to God, he he draws close to us. Meekness is strength that has been brought into submission and order by divine authority. 
It means when the pressure is on, we remain gentle and loving and full of joy. And that just doesn't add up in our heads sometimes. But don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand this. Just because meekness is gentle and loving doesn't mean that someone who exercises this trait, this fruit, will lie down and play dead when confronted with evil or sin. Hmm? This is the area where Christians need to bear their teeth and be tenacious. Meek make no exceptions for sin in their lives and no exception for sin in the world around them. This is not permission to get a heavy Bible and start whacking people and tell them turn or burn, right? It's not, because we're called to be gentle with people, yet we can make no exception for sin. We can draw clear lines in the sand where we say sin does not cross this. We can erect fences that say we will not let sin beyond this point. We are war horses for crying out loud. We cannot be moved. Not by the howls of our enemy. Not by the calamity that's going on around us. Because greater is he that's within me than he that is in, within the world. Come on. The hardest element of all of this in this meekness is such a strange characteristic. It's force under the control of faith. I'm repeating this just for emphasis so you guys can actually get it. Okay, um, why this is essential for us to understanding this is, is also why Jesus said the world is ours when we're truly living this out. It's because uh, there's no faking Jesus out. There's no manipulating God. See, we can manipulate man. We can, we can wear masks and play church, and, but Jesus sees it all. And don't miss this. This is why you can be the most kind and gentle and loving person and uh, volunteer a soup kitchen and lead your own life group and still be in bondage to sin and ego mm -hmm. and pride. Yeah. Hmm. Don't sit here today and say that's not me when it's clear the majority of us struggle with pride in one way or another. It's where the original sin started from <laughs> is with pride. Don't be too prideful to see the pride. Who here genuinely prays for meekness, though? It's not something we think about unless we're particularly feeling prideful. Nor is it something that we put a lot of value into. But the danger of a prayer request of meekness is that God might actually answer it. That kind of prayer opens us up to areas in that some of us have the strongest strangleholds in the, over us. And who wants that hot mess in their life? Come on. I'd rather keep that bondage buried. Keep that area in darkness. So what if it's at the cost of my happiness? Right? Because meekness is such an odd characteristic and not the social norm. It thrusts us into such a strange balancing act in our walk because the Bible tells us some contradicting truth. It says you're special, but you're not. You're a uh, strong person, but you're broken. You're a war horse, but you're a sheep. And the reason there's such a large justification um, is that we can be all these things if we align our identity with Christ. See, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And Pastor Mike talked about this on Easter, about dying to ourselves. Christ who lives in me is a transformational statement. And when we learn how to live in obedience and controlled power, an amazing thing happens. We receive empowerment that 
comes not only with blessing, as we see in Psalm 37 and, and Matthew 5, 5, but an, also an edict that sends us out. See, it, adhering to, uh, inheriting the earth is a personal blessing, yes, but don't miss this. It's not the incentive. Inheriting the earth makes it our duty to pave the way for our Savior. And what an honor it is to walk ahead of Christ and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If we look in Revelation, we see that the throne room of heaven is full of the meek, people who are, can't even stand in the presence of God's holiness, and all they can see, do is sing, holy, 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 while their faces are on the ground. Someone full of pride has no place being there. Hmm. We should probably get some practice in before we get there so we don't look stupid. <laughs> because if we don't, it says that the rocks and the trees will sing that song for us. And then we're going to really look foolish. Because he's worthy. He's so worthy. He is worthy of all our praise. But not only is he worthy of all of our praise, he's worthy of control over our lives. Do you understand that a meek person is one who proclaims God's holiness from the rooftops because they're not obsessed with man's empty praise or personal gratification? This is not a beaten down person. This is a controlled, powerful person. Our duty is pointing everyone, everyone, even our own restless eyes to the one who directs our path. Paul messes us up a little bit even more and gets us into some unfamiliar territory in his letter to the Corinthians because Paul states with incredible confidence the fact that he is the best of the worst. He says, I'm the best of the worst. He says this to show that he doesn't care about what the Corinthians think of him or what uh, he thinks about himself. That's awesome. You see, gospel meekness isn't thinking you're nothing because that's self-obsession as well or thinking about how meek you are because the essence of gospel meekness is not thinking I'm less or I'm more. It's simply thinking of myself less. It's not needing to think about myself. It's not needing to connect things with myself. Oh, to get that in a world full of self-gratifying social media posts would just be divine in every sense of the word. <laughs> but let me unpack that a little bit more. The meek Christian would never be hurt badly by criticism, nor would it devastate them or keep them up at night or really bother them because a person who's devastated by criticism is putting too much value on what other people think or what other people's opinions are. That kind of person would find it difficult to follow the Lord. Well, why? Because we know from the word of God that people will hate you because you're followers of Christ. And we just can't face that kind of rejection. Do you think that sounds idealistic? Because the more we begin to understand the gospel message, the more we want to be changed and grow in our understanding of our identity in Christ. You see how this is beneficial? Do you see how this helps us not care about the trivial? Our focus becomes Christ. And happiness and better life follows along behind See for yourself, it says in Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I, sit, I live in this earthly body, trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And moreover, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, we produce fruit, personality traits. Let's read that together. In Galatians 5.22, it says, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or meekness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. But here's where it's awesome. and this is We don't stop there. We can't stop there. Because it continues, those who belong in Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucify him there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited, almost like that's a pitfall, or provoke one another to be jealous of one another. I'm reading someone's mail today, I'm sure. Jesus is so wonderful in the way that he clearly teaches us that the personality traits that he wants us to have and how we obtain them is nailing the opposite traits to the cross and repentance. It all points to a meek posture of becoming obedient and steerable. We need to nail that pride to the cross and let God be the God of our lives. We need to give up control that we've desperately holding on to. See, true repentance is the, is the path to this. Repentance draws us nearer to God and in the process we fundamentally are changed for the good and it puts us on the road to meekness, which opens up a brand new facet of our faith most of us have never ventured into. And I told the story earlier about Angel, the demon horse, and I was putting this together and spending time in prayer and allowing God to mold me, and God was revealing new things to me and changing me and teaching me things, and, and I felt like God was saying to me, Jacob, you are that horse. You're Angel. And I was like, wow, thanks, God. I really hated that horse. But God, here's, here's, here's the thing, is that once that horse was broken, it was a sure winner. It actually won more awards than any other horse in that whole entire stable, once it was broken. And, and God wasn't saying to me, Jacob, you piece of trash, you garbage can, you make me want to give up on humanity. No, that's not what God was saying to me. <laughs> He's saying, Jacob, I see the potential that I've placed inside of you, and I want to see you rise to the level I created you to be. I want to see you break free from that bondage and leave your brokenness at my feet. See, folks, we can kick and scream and try to play church all our lives, or we can actually go to God and lay it at his feet, lay our bondage at his feet and say, God, I can't do this alone. God, I can't do, I'm broken. I need you. I got to lay this down at your feet because I have nothing. I'm nothing without you. God, direct me. Leave your baggage and your bondage at the cross and walk in freedom today. God, make us meek. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous prayer, but his response will be, let me bless you. How do I know this? Because he says it in his word. He just read it. God always keeps his promises. I want to close with a prayer over each of you today. So if you could just where you're at, just put your hands in a posture. There's nothing special about this. It's just this 
act of surrender to God. Just put your hands in a posture. I'm going to just pray a prayer over you. Lord, remove all pride, anger, bitterness, depression, and anything else that keeps us from growing in our relationship with you. Reveal methods and strategies that will help us grow stronger and fiercer in our faith. God, we trust in you and you alone. We submit our way for a better your way. And you will bring forth righteousness and meekness in our lives. Lord, help us to hope in you when we face intense battles in life and when things seem like they're not going well. Help us to remember that you cause all things to work together for our good. You are greater. You are stronger than any circumstances. And finally, dear brothers and sisters, I pray this over you. Be joyful. Grow in your maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. And then the God of love and peace will be with you forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.